Advisory services offered through Prime Capital Investment Advisors, LLC, PCIA, a federally registered investment advisor, Overland Park, Kansas. The following or preceding commentaries and responses are the opinions of Jason Noble, Andy Merchant, and their guests, and are not necessarily the opinions of PCIA, are for informational and educational purposes only, and are not and should not be considered investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Welcome to 20 Minutes of Clarity, the podcast that focuses on strategies and ideas to answer the wealth questions you have, hosted by Prime Capital Wealth Advisors Jason Noble and Andy Merchant. As wealth advisors, they've spent years navigating the complex world of finance and wealth management for their clients. Each week, they share practical tips and insights to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether you're looking to start a business, build your investment portfolio, or simply improve your personal finances, the next 20 minutes promises to be informative, engaging, and most importantly, actionable. 20 Minutes of Clarity starts now. Welcome to 20 Minutes of Clarity. It's your go-to podcast for financial insights and advice. I'm your host, Jason Noble. Joining me today is Andy the Man Merchant, financial expert here at Prime Capital Investment Advisor. Today, we're going to have a conversation over two different facets. One is going to be around debt management approaches. But stay with us because as we continue to go through the conversation, we're also going to go into financial terms that you're that you're going to hear. We're going to clear those things up. And we even get into those who have over a million dollars, some of the terms that they hear. So this will be a really good experience for no matter where you are when you're listening and where you are in your financial journey, this podcast is for you. So, Andy, we're going to jump right into debt management strategies and approaches. What are some of the things that come to your mind? Well, debt's so important right now. I think we both have really seen with with higher inflation, uh, you know, just kind of the the struggles of of 23, you know, led to increasing debt that are out there. Uh, Obviously, the student student debt repayment uh, bucket turned back on or faucet Mm -hmm. turned back on. So now everybody's got this money outflow. And, and really, this is about understanding debt, and and I think it's important to kind of boil it down to what I my goal in this quick uh, quick intro is: what's good debt and bad debt? We hear that all the time. Um, not all bets dad are bad, and uh, and then I also think that we just kind of highlight a few of the important ratios that you can use at home um, to kind of do your own little litmus test on where you are and determine uh, you know where where you need to go from there. So I think it's important to understand that. There's good debt and there's bad debt. Um, I quickly define that, and Jason, we'll we'll get your your points as well. Um, I quickly define that as any debt that doesn't add to some kind of future asset value is probably debt that is not good debt. You know, mm-hmm. things that could be is I like to go out and eat at fancy restaurants, so I'm going to go and put all that on my credit card, and then I end up building credit card debt. You can't reuse the food, I don't think, in any way or fashion. Um, but, you know, in comparison to purchasing, um, you know, a home, um, you know, a gray line one I was reading recently was cars and understanding the depreciation of cars and certain cars depreciate faster than others. So I know driving and we don't want to use brands in case they ever want to like, write us a check on our podcast here. Uh, but understanding how your your depreciation of a vehicle may work, it's not going to sell more likely than more than you bought it. Um, so understanding that, but then again, most people don't have 40, 50, 80,000 bucks sitting around to buy a car straight up. So, uh, that's more cash flow. But anyway, uh, cause I get rambly on this part. That's the importance of understanding good debt, bad debt. Um, Jason, what do you got? 
They want to look at good debt. It would be like typically lower interest rate helps really increase the income or uh, leverage on an investment approach or strategy. Um, it could help with the return on investment on, on that strategy as well. It really depends on the utilization of that debt. Okay. Bad debt is high interest rates, the credit cards, things of that nature. Uh, you were talking about car loans being bad debt. I mean, it's what it is. If you're not in a financial situation to cash flow the purchase of that vehicle and you got to take out a loan and you have no other debt outside of the mortgage, we're going to tackle that car loan well before we even start looking at what's going on with the mortgage. Okay. And, and, and when it comes to debt and do you pay off the debt sooner and invest the rest, right? What does that look like? It's going to really come down to the amortization schedule of that debt, what type of debt it is. All, all those different facets come into play that really determine if it's good or bad debt. And, and, and you know, there's people out there, there's pundits out there that say all debt is bad debt. Well, they don't know what they're talking about. Honestly, that's just what it is. Uh, because they themselves, they may have had too much good debt. And too much good debt is bad debt. <laughs> <laughs> and that caused them to have financial situations and ruin, right? Yep. No, so it's, I mean, it's monitoring how much good debt you have. You can't ignore it. If it's, you can't say, oh, all my debt is good debt. No, that could put you in a, that could put you in a heap of trouble. Um, but then like, if all your debt is bad debt, then you probably most likely have a spending problem. And we're, we're going to have to put a prescription towards fixing that problem first. Right, and then we could get towards taking care of uh, of the debt and that debt snowball. Uh, and and uh, I I, I mentioned debt snowball real brief. Um, I worked with a couple up in New York, and they had two hundred fifty eight thousand dollars in bad debt, not including a mortgage. Like that was all bad debt, all high interest rate credit cards. Well, four years later, they have no debt, no debt at all. So we put a plan in place for what they're taking as far as income. How much can they take to live and do the things they want to do, but then take care of this debt with the prudent approach. We use the debt snowball approach for them. You can look that term up to learn more. Also, debt avalanche is another approach that we could have used. For them specifically, the debt snowball was more prudent. Um, but yeah. that's, I would say those that are talking pundits that say all debt is bad debt, I know what they're trying to get at. They're trying to get at that people aren't disciplined and that people will just overspend if they have access to all this debt. Well, maybe if the, if the person is in their early 20s and they have not had financial conversations with a professional or they've never had those conversations with their parents, right? And they just get access to a credit card and they go crazy on it. We're not seeing that as much anymore as a society, right? We're not seeing it as much. Not to say it doesn't, it's not out there. What I'm getting at is making sure you understand what is your good debt, what is your bad debt, and have a plan in place to address it. Hey, there's some, a couple ratios, Andy, in a couple minutes. Can you go over some of the important ratios that people should consider yeah. when it comes to debt? Yeah, I'll hit those ratios. Let me just add one thing to it. I think a good strategy for those that are listening should also be aware of 
is, you know, home equity lines of credits are really good strategies for both those that are accumulating assets and those that are in retirement. You know, you shared a great story there, Jason. Um, I just want to add this point in there. But, you know, I always have all my clients that are nearing retirement to go ahead before they're not working. This will tie in those ratios and, and go ahead and get that trapped equity, get access to that equity in your home. You know, it used to be in traditional planning, a bad, a bad number because it's your home and protect it. But that's just a bucket of money you can have access to where you have control of, you know, the rate. Um, my story real quick is that, you know, we had some market volatility in the last few years. We had clients starting income. And what we needed to do was be able to borrow money, right, to, to live without money coming. Because the markets have fallen. If your money's in the market and it falls when we have volatility and you need cash, the worst thing you can do in your portfolio is take money out, pay tax on it, and that money never grows again, right? And so by utilizing the leverage in their home, we were able to get at a very low rate using a home equity. And there's a lot of strategies from variables, which is now to fix. Uh, and so it's so important to have those on there so you have more control. That was kind of the, a strategy that if you're nearing retirement, you should think about. Um, and if you've got equity in your home, um, you should always have it available and talk with your banker on that. But I think Where can what people I really go, want, Andy, to learn more and to even schedule a meeting? Yeah, if you if you if you get any questions about that or want to know your specific situation on whether or not it makes sense, then you just need to go to uh, clearpicturefinancial.com. Um, there's a contact form to get in touch with either Jason or I, and uh, and there's some resources there that kind of help you learn more. But uh, visit us at clearpicturefinancial.com if you have any questions around if a HELOC or any other kind of leverage strategy makes sense for you on that. But, All right. Um, and then uh, uh, real quick, like in like a minute and a half or so, yeah. what ratios do you think are important on debt ratios for people to know? I think there's two really important ones out there. I think, you know, if you look at your housing spending ratio, uh, how much should you spend on rent if you're renting or on total mortgage insurance and all those good factors? Uh, I think you need to look at what your housing costs are uh, divided by your gross pay, keep in mind gross pay. That ratio needs to be under 28% if you're accumulating. And obviously, if you're nearing or in retirement, it needs to be much lower. So 28% of your gross pay should not be allocated more to your monthly, uh, your monthly gross pay or annual if you do it on an annual number. The second one, and really more importantly, if you're going to prepare to go talk to bankers on, on home equities or anything else, take those debt numbers and bring in all your other debt, your car payment, your, your minimum payment on your credit card, uh, student debt, and then add all that to your gross pay, and that needs to be less than 36%. So if you're out there trying to build a budget and your debt may be out of there and wondering if it's out of control, those are two quick ratios that I would start. Yeah, you do those numbers, you see it's well over those ratios, then you know there's some work to do on some other debt factors that you have, spending patterns, and and uh, that should put you in a, in a direction to make a better informed decision. So Andy, let's talk about basic investment principles. I know there are some things that we hear in this industry over and over again. For us, it could just be part of our nomenclature, but for others, it could be just pure jargon. What are some things that come to your mind that you would want us to kind of tackle? Hey, you know, the jargon's the best. So I think what we want to hit real quick, I think what's really important um, for everybody out there right now is understanding the difference between uh, diversification and allocation. And I'm going to kick it to you on that, Jason, in a second. <laughs> uh, but then we're going to talk. I think it's important to understand how to understand your statement. Right. You So you get a return statement, understand risk and return and what it means. Uh, these statements need to be, uh, you know, at least clear. So I think we're going to hit a few of really important things. And then, as you mentioned earlier, uh, 
you know, for those that are accredited or higher, we're going to hit on some private investment terms uh, that you can get aware of. So I think probably the most misunderstood or miss, um, uh, yeah, misunderstood difference or comparison is between diversification and allocation. So bring it, bring, bring, uh, bring a little clarity to the story. Yeah. Well, I'll start with asset allocation, allocation. That's going to give us a percentage of where your money's at. So in a basic example of this, let's say the asset allocation is 50% stocks and 50% bonds. That's your asset allocation. I mean, I mean, in a real term, in a real life example, it's never like that. It's always like, I, I would see like 63.7% stock and 22.8% bonds and the rest is in cash or cash alternatives, right? But when I was just trying to draw an easy parallel. Yeah. So if that's the asset allocation, 50% stocks and 50% bonds, then what is the diversification? So if I have half my money invested in one stock, that's not well diversified. Correct. That's a concentrated position. Uh-oh, <laughs> be careful, right? And we may see this if you're working at a publicly traded company inside of your 401k with RSUs and other stuff coming in. You've got to be careful. I mean, there's things that we can do, Andy and I can do to help navigate through that, especially if you're in a corporate executives, which Andy will probably touch on later. But diversification is when I said you have stocks, how like how do you have that money invested? Like, is it domestic? Is it overseas investments? Is it mega caps? Is it large companies? Is it smaller companies? They're all publicly traded, right? But what what, what does that look like on that end? Okay, now bonds. Are they corporate bonds? Are they treasury bonds? Are they municipal bonds? Um what is the bond durations of the strategy? Are they short-term? Are they longer-term duration? Um, what's going on with the interest rate environment? What I mean by the interest rate environment is, do you want to do a bond ladder or do you want to do a barbell approach? So what I'm, what I'm articulating is asset allocation is really going to show, or sorry, my, my computer is just giving me an issue there. Asset allocation is just going to show uh, what percentage at a 30,000 foot view your money is put into diversification is actually getting it closer looking at a more more focus of how that money is spread out uh how did i do andy would you say i i nailed it stuck the landing on that you i think i think it's perfect 10 and uh i think i think you know gymnastics in the future but uh no, I, I just think I think one more point to add, really kind of unique to the wealth program, is that we even look at uh, steps higher. In this case, you know, above allocation, we look for as your asset location. So um, when that's really breaking out more to public, private, and protection, and then you're narrowing it down to how your public markets, private markets, and protection markets are are allocated, and then within that, we're diversifying, right? So it's, you right. got to think about it. it's a, it's a it's a it's the onion, and we're peeling back the layers. So, That's right. but you mentioned some good points in there too, Jason. That I think there are some important terms when you're looking at risk and and uh, and return. Once they once you have that perfect strategy figured out, or what could be a, a really strong strategy, um, how do you understand if if what are you telling clients when they want to look at certain terms that maybe are important during a review? 
Um, well, I, I definitely want to look at risk and return metrics, right? I mean, so like standard deviation, standard deviation just goes into what's the volatility of that position, right? Um, that volatility, higher standard deviation, that could show it's higher risk, right? But then like we have a term beta. Beta is just standard deviation ver compared to its index, compared to like making a comparison to something else. And so beta will give me an, uh, a risk factor on like a stock and the S&P 500 against the S&P 500 staying at one. So beta comes into play as well. But then you have what's called alpha, right? And uh, this, is, you know, what's so fun is like, I, I try so hard not to ever use jargon when I'm in one-on-one -on -one meetings. So I get to do this now and everyone listening. If you come Great. in, we're not just going to be throwing these terms around. What we do is, I'm like, what we're talking right now is like alpha is for every unit of risk, what was the additional rate of return did we expect to see going into that investment? That's what alpha is. So all these things come into play. When I was going through my CFP, the Certified Financial Planning Designation, not only did we have to know what these things meant, we had to know how to do calculations on it manually. Right. What I love is like I don't have to do that with a calculator. I could use my software programs to do it. If you want to know what your financial advisor is doing on a slow Friday afternoon, <laughs> good ones, they're going in and they're doing a manual calculation of, let's say, sharp ratio just to verify that the program has it right. Been doing that for a while now, I have not come across where it's wrong. But that doesn't mean it won't one day. So it's just being able to validate the information. Well, but like, geez, I was uh, going to say, I was going to yeah. add on that. I love what you're saying there because, you know, too often risk and return as far as measurements are kind of separated. But, you know, I talk to clients all the time. When you're talking about standard deviation and you're talking about some of these terms and data, you know, I talk to clients about that's volatility. Mm -hmm. You can't stomach volatility no matter how much risk you want to be able to take. But this is how we identify how volatile your portfolio could be, which I think is a much better determination when talking. So if you've got a portfolio that's got a high standard deviation, that has a high beta, that one can expect that if the markets get to rocking, you know, your portfolio is going to get to moving with it, right? And so if it's more about volatility risk measurements than it is others. So. I think that's important. And the last one I just want to add real quick, Jason, on this is, is correlation. I think a lot of people don't understand how you reduce the volatility in portfolios. Go find and add investments, um, private investments, something we might talk about here in a second with time allowing, um, are assets that are generally less correlated. They don't act the same way the markets do. And so I think it's important. This is really more about how do you talk about volatility more than you talk about the risk willingness. Well, since since you brought in the term correlation, that is going back to diversification, right? If you have stocks that are all similar, let's say they're in a similar sector. So you have 10 stocks in a similar investment sector. You're going to see that you have a, what's called a positive correlation. So the it, it's really not going to show that you are truly diversified. 
right? And, and to learn more, you know, go to clearpicturefinancial.com, check out more content, scroll down, put in your information if you're interested in having a conversation. Let's get into accredited investors. They have over a million dollars or they make a certain amount of income if they're married or single. I don't want to go into all that. If yeah. you're accredited, you know. If you are accredited and you don't know, then then, then you know just it. look it up. It'll take a little bit of time. But what, yeah. I, what, what are some of the terms that accredited investors start to hear from qualified advisors that we should bring to light? And I'm just going to preview this. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a teaser out there. But we're going to go into a lot more detail than the topic deserves and requires a lot more detail. But, you know, generally things to start looking up when you're looking into adding alternatives or private investors is start with one, what Jason said, identify if you're accredited or not. Because if you're not, it doesn't matter what we tell you after this. Um, the other factors that are really out there are, are going to understand understanding preferred returns, exit terms, and a uh, anything that's called a PPM or an operation or subscription document. I'm going to leave it out there more with do a little homework. If you're listening to this and it's all about gaining a clear picture, if you're interested in privates, which I do think private alternative investments are going to become more relevant in people's portfolios going forward, understand the terms so you have confidence when you're considering these options. But the key is accredited. Second thing is understanding um, terms and understanding subscription documents, exit terms, and uh, preferred uh, uh, documents is what I'm going to teach people with today. As we get more uh, people that reach out asking these questions, we could do a whole other segment just off of that alone. Right, Andy, with all the content that's there. That was Andy Merchant. The man, the myth, the legend. I love our conversations, Andy. Thank you so much. I'm Jason Noble. You just listened to 20 Minutes of Clarity. Thank you so much and have a great day.